0: a conversation between Damien and our great friend Anne who did a wonderful radio show with Damien a few years ago when we were doing the first LP and um, yeah that's it really, Um, sit back enjoy it and uh, I'll leave you to it Thank you you. Thanks everyone Um,
1: Damien, lovely to see you You've got a new, your second solo record.
0: I say Smith third. third Smith.
1: sorry, that's yeah. okay. But you've confused me because your last one wasn't even proper solo. You've got this invisible monitor. True. Yeah. So uh, it's called Anne mm-hmm. oh, um, Cram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, just tell us how it came about.
0: The title you, you, originally.
1: Yeah, you can tell us. That. Okay,
0: there is a book. I was reading this book by uh, this Irish author, or poet, called Damien Gorman. Uh, I think the book's called As If I Cared. It's like a biography of his life. And um, he mentions in the book that he, I think it was the early 90s, he had this peace and reconciliation organization in, in the north, and he called it An Crann, which is the tree in Irish. And I just thought, I thought, well, that's a lovely title. Maybe I could call my LP this, you know, because it's kind of mellow and roots and growth and things like that. So I just thought it was a really, really nice title. And then coincidentally, um, our daughter, Rosa, was doing a photography degree, and she had taken pictures of these hawthorn trees in County Derry. And um, when I seen the pictures, they were beautiful prints, I thought, wow, there's my cover. I've got the title. There's the cover. That's it. It's fantastic.
1: Yeah. So, because Derry is of course associated with the oak tree, but yeah. roses, was a oh, Hawthorn. tree. Isn't that quite a spooky place?
0: Yes. Uh, apparently, the where she took the picture, it, it it's, it's apparently supposed to be a um, a grave, or sorry, a, like a burial place of a a mythical Irish vampire oh,
1: cool. under
0: this tree. Who's actually turned upside down, or for some reason, or some who's buried upside down, in case he comes back to life? It's it's it, near Derry. It's okay. in, near Lemma Valley, County Derry. Yeah, oh, right. I think it was called Abertach. The so actual vampire dwarf.
1: Okay.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, yeah. um, you know, just about, yeah. Why not? I'll use that.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, there are a few spooky things on the record. There's, there? there is.
0: There is. Yeah, silhouettes and ghosts and things as well on one. Just on. Just the title. Just the title.
1: Okay. Yeah. And the other thing that you said was that um if Brexit had never happened, you might not have done this records. So true.
0: Yeah. I think I. God, I mean, I'm sure everybody out here feels what a disaster Brexit is, but especially if you're Irish, how dare they do that? You know, take us out of the European Union, because it really messes with the Good Friday Agreement and the, the right to be Irish or British. And you're taking out, you know, most people in Ireland, in Northern Ireland, voted to stay in. So what happened to democracy there? You know. Um, yeah, it's, it just made me so, so angry and kind of, I guess, it just made me more of a, I guess maybe I was a sort of soft nationalist before, but it just made me even more determined. We should have a united Ireland the sooner the better, you know, to get rid of Britain altogether. Because what they're just messing up the whole peace process by, by, by this Brexit thing. So I just wanted to, and also the, the Irish Language Act was, you know, DUP. DUP were vetoing that, and that was making me angry as well. And I just, I just wanted express my Irishness more. Yeah, and
1: mm. was that a reason for the title? I think so, well, just deliberately,
0: yeah, even though I don't speak Irish, I wanted to you know, to. to it's my culture, it's part of me, you know, it's my country. So yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's yes, yeah, me just saying I'm Irish. I'm proud of it.
1: Yeah, well, we'll come to quite a lot of that, yeah. I'm sure, but the other thing that you said was um, uh, that if you'd listened to this for the
0: first time, you'd have no clue that it, it was a punk rocker. You, you found your inner soul on Yeah, yeah, punk rocker finds his inner soul. Uh, I, I guess you know again because I'm, you know, I'm 61, so you, me- you you mellow over time and you have different influences. And because and it's an instrumental record and I'm doing most of it myself, I didn't have a band, so. And maybe just the music I was listening to, I just wanted to do something more laid back.
1: Okay, and you mentioned the instrumentals, because on the Monotones record, my favourite track was Angels into Connors Street. Street yeah. And you like the other Mondrian. Julia yeah,
0: Mondriania Dream.
1: So, did you actually set out to write? Was it meant to be an instrumental? Or- was it a mixture? It was a
0: mixture. because Some of the tracks actually were supposedly turned into songs, but I, I'm just, my lyric writing days are over, I think. I just, uh, oh. I just <laughs> seriously, it takes me so long to come up with really good lyrics. I thought, I have oh, to help it. It's easier, but i just keep it instrumental. Seriously, <laughs> it's that easy. <laughs> you know, it's that simple. Well, do you find
1: those easy to write?
0: Easy uh, it's the music. I've never had any trouble coming up with music, even during the Undertone's days. I would usually come up with the music and Mickey, Mickey Bradley would come up with the lyrics so we had a good collaboration that way and occasionally I would write my own song with lyrics as well but the music was my forte, lyrics wasn't so this, this is why it, this is this little record. Okay, well I think uh, we
1: should have the first so track.
0: We have the lovely Viv here. <laughs>
1: Called Mas you say it? Mas
0: Humedos, which is Spanish for more or less.
1: Right. Okay. And um, tell us about that um,
0: beautiful guitar and bass <laughs> on there. Well, yeah, the whole song is, is evolves around the bass line. Really, it's a really good bass hook. So, like a lot of my tracks, like you come up with a hook first, and then you build around it. Um, it's very influenced by a, a French band called the Lemonias as you know, Steve. Steve's a big fan here. Um, I don't know if anybody knows the Lemonianis. Um, it's a duo, but they, they've got... mainly it's two people, but they've got a band, um, very 60s-esque, um, Serge Gansborg-esque kind of stuff. Um, so I, I love them, I guess. I think that day, I came up with a bass I just thought, Today, Matthew, I'm going to be the Lemonyas. Came <laughs> <laughs> up with the bass line and just work around it.
1: Well, it reminded me of, there was a French musician called Pascal Comalard. And I loved one of his records in the 90s. And it had that kind of feel to me. Okay. Um, did you say you were going to get the guy from Lionel is it, yeah. to, to remix?
0: Lionel has. He's done a remix no, of that. It's fantastic. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. It was through Steve here. I sent, um, I got his email address, so I sent it to him, and um, he really liked it. So it took about three months, but he came back with this remix. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to do with it, but it's it's really it's it's very he basically he, it's very like a lemonyana. Yeah? This is exactly what I thought he'd do. So it's it's amazing that even though I wrote it with them in mind, it's come back with them their stamp on it. It's fantastic. Okay, yeah. you don't know what you'll do with it. I don't know yet, we'll
1: see. Okay. Um, has the French Rock and Roll been
0: quite an influence on you? Uh, it's not really, no. I mean, obviously Serge Gadsberg is a big influence, you know, uh, we were talking earlier, you know, Melody Nelson's record, that's the, the production on that, and the, that bass sound is kind of replicating melody, you know, the Melody Nelson, time don't know if you know it. Yeah It was done in the late 60s. Um, But yeah, um, not really. I wouldn't say totally French influenced. Okay. But just that long track. Yeah, yeah. But so the record has got a mixture of
1: there's a bit of that French, a bit of Japanese, quite a lot of Irish, which we'll talk about.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Japanese, a little bit. I mean, there's there's a guy, a solo artist called. uh, uh, Nobukazu Takamira. he did this great record called um, Child's View, I think, in the, in the early 2000s. And there was one particular track called Pendulum, and it's still one of my favourite tracks of all time. And I kind of stole some of the backing tracks from that for an art track we're going to play later.
1: Which track was that?
0: Uh, It was that Okay. All right. Okay.
1: So, yeah, we will be playing the tracks, but In between, I, because you have have so many bands, I'm just going to ask you a bit, a bit between the tracks about the different bands. So, um, one of my favourite Undertone stories is that um, when you played Top of the Pops for the first time with Teenage Kicks. And I think it was date was it October the twenty.
0: October seventy nine. I don't know 20, the exact date. Twenty
1: sixth but... of October. And in the story of the undertones, um Mickey says that his mom bought in pajamas. Actually,
0: belly. it was Billy. It was Billy.
1: Mickey first, Then oh. Billy. Oh, you're right. Them. He does. he
0: mentions that in his book. You're right. Yeah. Yes.
1: So, yeah. like, because they're going. To England, they like going to hospital, they'll need
0: new pajamas. Yeah, all true, all true.
1: Yeah, yeah, so Billy ended up with pairs from his aunties, and I wondered if you and John got
0: pajamas. Oh, no, 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 we were much too cool for that. No. Okay, well, um, it's not been the right
1: ones, <laughs> <laughs> okay, but. This is this is the story that I like. So he played on Top of the Pops and the following night he played at the Rocking Chair on waterloo Street yeah. in Derry. Now yeah. the first time I went to Derry I was taken to that bar. Yeah. And um Mickey says in his great book My Life as an Undertone that there was an ad in that day's Derry Journal that read the undertones the undertones last night top of the pops
0: tonight, The and Chair. <laughs> um, That's fantastic.
1: What do you remember? that?
0: Um, yeah, we, we, because Top of the Pops was recorded on a Wednesday, I think, so we were due to play, it was transmitted on Thursday, so we were due to, we played The and Chair that night. So I just remember that there was a massive queue all the way down Waterloo Street, like all the way down to the bottom, hundreds of people, what really annoyed me though was so many people who like two weeks before or three weeks before were going, these are shite. Now they're going, oh, get me in,
1: D, get me in. There.
0: Suddenly they're our best friends, you know, like, ah, I'm right. So, yeah, there
1: bought, was that. But a homecoming. It was, a whole, it was
0: amazing. It was packed The gills, of course. It, it was great. It was a great night. And, it was a um, great night.
1: Mickey said that his brother Martin, it was big enough occasion to get the Super Eight camera. He out. Did. <laughs> see you see that
0: yeah, footage, footage which is
1: in the story of it's in the, the, on, yeah. the Undertones,
0: the, the Vinnie Collingham documentary. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. So the other big thing about that advert that I loved so much, so beneath the rocking chair bit it had Tomorrow, Saturday, bin men. <laughs> yeah, there's Sunday. <laughs> but bin men. Yeah, there's men So then I was fascinated to know who the bin men were. And um, I found this in the Derry Journal where you get all your best stories. Um, The true, of course. Yeah. There's a brilliant mural artist called Joe Campbell who's actually done Elvis at the bottom of Waterloo Street and I wondered if that was Elvis Wesley. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway. um, So I found this last year. Joe Campbell recalls being in the rocking chair the night of The Undertones' first appearance on Top of the Pops. The band in the rocking chair, the Bean men, that night, Thursday night, stopped playing and watched the TV in the bar with the rest of us. When the song was over, the singer with the bin men, the late Jackie Boyd, turned to us and pointed out that a wee band from Derry had just played on one of the biggest stages in the world. We all stood up and clapped. We were that proud. Aww.
0: A slowly, a lovely story yes I like that story
1: so let's have a, a clash
0: story because okay. the
1: following year you're on tour for the first time yeah. in America
0: and you're with the clash yeah I mean it's basically okay, exactly virtually a year before I seen the clash in the Ulster Hall October, uh, September October 70, 78 and then one year, one month to the, to the day we were supporting them in Minneapolis, you know, I mean, how incredible is that? Like, fairy tales do happen. Um, yeah, we were there for two weeks doing the East Coast of Clash, and they were probably at the pinnacle of their career, because they were just before London Colin Record came out, so they were debuting all these amazing tracks, like Wrong and Boyle, oh wow, Guns of Brixton, London Colin, Armageddon Time, whatever, all those great songs that would appear on the record um we were watching them every night and you know we were learning so much from them. we were so professional by the way compared to us they even had settlers we didn't have settlers um yeah we, i mean we, we kept ourselves to ourselves we were quite shy so they were very a gangster chic look and they're very cool and but i just remember joe strummer particularly being really ultra friendly he would always come over say hello and how's things and, you know, he was lovely, really nice. And didn't you come home with um, a baseball
1: bat? That was,
0: Yeah, I, I came home with a baseball bat, which I got signed by The Clash. Clever me. still have it. That's for the pension fund. <laughs> um, Mickey Bradley. Mickey bought six baseball bats that first day in Minneapolis at Sears, Roblox, whatever the store's called. Then he realised he has to bring all six all the way for the next two weeks. In our little uh, you know station wagon car so <laughs> he was a bit pissed off he should have bought it at the end of the tour instead of before
1: yeah so just to finish the clash story yeah. then joe obviously you know he did really well he cared about loads of people yeah. but didn't he try to do a geek in derry then after yeah that was before oh was it's, it before yeah that ah. was the
0: summer of '70. Right. Start 79, 79. summer seventy nine. Yeah, we we were going to have a festival called the Dairy Dance, a corny kind of country and western sounding thing. But and the Clash had agreed to play. This was in the Templemore Sports Complex, and we had the damned on board and the boys as well, uh, and we were playing obviously. And then the Clash, uh, Joe Strummer, got a threatening letter from um, like the Ulster, forget what Red Hand Commandos or something saying if you set foot in Londonderry we will assassinate you. Basically what happened was Joe was pictured with a Hedgeblock T-shirt on the NME over two weeks before that, so he was automatically sort of targeted by, the, by loyalists. I mean, I've I've still got the copy of the letter, I it's it's really badly. I wrote
1: it down. It was in Johnny Green, the Clash tour manager, his book. Johnny
0: Green, that's right. And he
1: said, it said, um, dear enemy, if he sets foot on the free soil of Loyal Ulster, the strummer will be shot dead and left like a rat in the gutter. And it was signed Red Hand Commandos. So they went to Neil Spencer, who was the editor of Enemy, and he said it could be some not But if it's not, you better get
0: it. <laughs> so we, Clash obviously they came, they came to, to fair play to Joe and Mick. Came to, we were in London at the time recording, and they came to, to the studio to, meet, to show us the letter and say, "What should we do?" They wanted our opinion, right? And we couldn't tell them this is probably a hoax because it was actually badly worded and written. It probably was a hoax but we couldn't tell him that. So we said, look, he, it's up to you, but maybe you should take it serious. So they pulled out. And because they pulled out, the whole festival didn't happen. Oh, and because okay. that didn't happen, they felt guilty. That's why they offered us the tour in America.
1: Oh, right, okay, right, very good. Um, do you think we should have another track? Thanks, please. So uh, that was Head imminent so, um, I say
0: that when you're drunk
1: um, <laughs> After another glass of wine um, So on the sleeve notes you've written happy childhood memories at Born, County Donegal yeah, yeah. Is Sleavebourne not on Malinhead?
0: It is yeah. 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 yeah.
1: So tell us the story about that Well
0: uh, when we were weighing some, you know, from 10, 11, we, about four years, we used to go, my mum and dad, we'd pack, pack us all in a little wee char, van, whatever, and we'd go, spend two weeks in in Melbourne Head, in, usually every August, two weeks, first two weeks of August, and we stayed in this little wee green hut, we called it, basic essentials, you know, I think it had running water, but it was... Maybe you know, I say toilet. I say, remember, but it, you know, when you're little. It's idyllic, it's, it was just amazing the memories. So it was always, yeah, it's like a childhood memory that you love and cherish. and I thought it'd be nice to put it in the title because it's kind of a very ethereal, nice tune. You know, so I thought, yeah, it fits it really fits. Yeah,
1: it's lovely with lovely backing vocals from, from our DJ. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and you've got a beautiful video
0: to go with us. Yes. Tell Martin, us about that. That was through Brian, actually, um, Marie Watterson did this amazing graphic video for it. I uh, don't know if anybody knows Mari Watterson, Watterson's fan, the famous folk royalty. Um, it's, yeah, they she's, I've, I've never met her, actually, I'd love to meet her one day, but she did this amazing video for this track it just goes so well, I gave her all these ideas, you know like like the holiday thing going playing football when we were there and um, I actually I gave her some things like going to the pub and drinking lemonade and eating crisps and stuff but she, she didn't put that in unfortunately but it's a lovely, lovely video it goes well with it yeah, it's actually, I think that's my favourite track on the record um, there's two pivotal tracks that one and latingo me are the best things I've done on this record anyway, I think. And also, I think uh, what really enhances this one is um, there's a great Derry drummer called Liam Bradley who's drummed with uh, Van Morrison, um, Sinead O'Connor, the Chieftains, and he's this top-notch session player who actually was in my class at school back in the day. I didn't really know him then, but he, my friend Kevin Sharkey gave him this track, just unknown, un- unbeknownst to me, and Liam loved it and just decided to drum on it and sent me the results and just pr- brought her up a level, amazing. Okay, and he
1: did that in his studio? He did it he- in
0: his studio in Donegal.
1: Okay.
0: Which is kind of... Yeah, kind of it right Donegal? Sorry, it's uh, outside Red Castle, Red oh, Castle, okay. near Moville.
1: Right, on that coast? On
0: that oh. coast, on the locker His house apparently is on the floor. Near
1: where John Hume lived.
0: Very close to George oh, yeah. Hughes. Yeah.
1: Okay. And you also used to go to, on holiday to Buncranor, didn't you? Well. Sometimes, or was that when you were was, older?
0: That was just day trips oh, okay. and on a Sunday. Um, never, well, we have stayed there once or twice for, for a week or two, but usually it was either Bondorn or the or Wee House in Longhead. Okay. Wee Greenhouse, Hub, Wee Green Hub.
1: So, it's like lots of people from Derry's to get away
0: to Donegal. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, even lots of people from Belfast would go to Donegal. That's right, Brendan, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just Especially during the Troubles. Yeah. You know, you'd flock to get away over the border, to get away from all the madness. You know, it was brilliant. It was brilliant. We were lucky. That's what's great about Derry, particularly, not Belfast, but Derry. We had the border on our doorstep. That's So important. You didn't feel trapped, whereas people in Belfast would have felt really trapped.
1: But did you feel a bit in between?
0: Well, I've always not not in between. I've always felt Irish. I never felt well. Obviously, being born a Catholic, never felt British or you know any identity with being part of Britain. However, I love everything about British culture. You know, like music, particularly. So I suppose we were a wee bit in between. You know.
1: We were earlier, we were talking about that band that we both really like fontaine 's d c yeah. and i 'd read this interview where Philip King said, the condition of being Irish is the condition of being in between right. Right. and and they now talk about being in London because yeah, they, they
0: moved over yeah yeah
1: so it 's quite
0: it 's funny they they were in i think a dog's abuse and it was the Irish Times they really criticizing them for moving away or how dare they? Kind of, th- or how dare they slag off Fina Gale and Fina Foy? You know who do they think they are? Typical Irish Times comment. And, and little class twats. And he, and you can talk, Damien.
1: that he left at I know. Once. No. no. <laughs> yeah, no, I
0: didn't. Uh, but as you say, honestly, well, I, you never
1: really
0: left. I never really left, but I, yeah. then I had to get away. I, I never really felt part of Derry. I don't know. Maybe because I was born in Belfast. Actually, <laughs> I don't know why. I just always wanted to move away. I knew I would, even when I was thirteen, fourteen. Honestly, and I don't regret it. I definitely don't regret that. So maybe I'll, I'll move back someday. But not yet.
1: To um, that green hut. To the green hut. not
0: yeah. there.
1: Now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I think the can we have a track that kind of goes with that? The third one. Thank you. I love that track, Damien. Yeah. And lovely backing vocals there <laughs> from <Finn. laughs> Um So I heard you say that um, that you woke up from a dream and have that melody. Yeah, that's
0: true. Actually, it doesn't happen very often. And usually I fall asleep again and forget it next when I wake up properly in the morning. But um that one occasion I actually made myself get up. I've got this little Tascam test- recorder and I hummed the tune. So I had it. It's good, well, it's not exactly like Keith Richards when he uh, satisfaction he did the same thing. I mean, that would have been better.
1: <laughs> well, I think it's a lovely, haunting tune. And uh, you honestly you've dedicated that to two people, yeah. One is John Clifford, who ran your football club, Tristar, F- Tri- Tristar, Tristar, Tristar FC. Um, and you say you kept many disorientated youths from getting into trouble. Um, obviously, you played football a lot, and you were yeah, a kid. I was
0: a massive football fan. Uh, and you football,
1: were
0: a fan. Chelsea fan. Aren't I was you? yeah, any <laughs> any out there? Yeah, I was a massive Chelsea fan. Me, me and my brother John, actually. Um, but yeah, football was our main life at the time. We all, all played. All three brothers. All three brothers. My brother Jim wasn't into it actually, but so me, John, and Vincent, okay. and we lived near Bull Park. Bull Park was just you know stores, stone throws away. So we'd spend all day, virtually all night, just playing football. Okay, and it was amazing. We
1: loved it. What well,
0: and um, were you Derry City? Oh, oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. I'd the thing, worst thing, but the troubles was Derry City. They banned Derry City from from playing in the Northern Irish League in 1972, I think. And so for years we didn't have a football team to support, and that's devastating for a town the size of Derry. And it was only until the late nineties, I think, that they came back again. So yeah, that was really, it was really it makes a big impact if you don't have a football team to to support, you know, local football teams. It was terrible. But John, John Clifford was, um, he was like this kind of unpaid social worker or youth. Worker, he he was just he was so passionate about football, and he would he had like the under eleven, under 12, 13, 14 teams, and I sort of started with the under elevens, and maybe I, f- I probably finished at the under fourteens. But for four years I was playing for John for TriStar and uh, he was so dedicated, and you know, unfortunately he passed away. But I, I really wanted to give my tribute to him on, on that track, you know, on, on just in the, the sleeve notes
1: yeah
0: and at which point did you realize that you were going to become a professional uh, Well, i couldn't see the blackboard anymore and my eyesight started going
1: oh.
0: <laughs> didn't help and then of course i got into music and uh, yeah forget about the football
1: okay
0: did you have someone give you common talent scout you want? Was uh well no john john clever actually he no 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 he didn't i wasn't that good john clever did say one day you're going to be playing for arsenal he was a big fan. <laughs> So never happened.
1: You know. Okay. And the other person yeah. that you dedicated that track to is your niece Maeve O'Neill.
0: I mean, Maeve, Maeve Maeve. She's my niece and god, goddaughter. Who,
1: Whose daughter is she? She's Jim, my okay.
0: eldest daughter, um, daughter. Right. Yeah, she, and she... Maeve's amazing. She's, she's probably 32 now. She's a counselor for People Before Profit Party. She's just one of the most op- optimistic, uh, bouncy, won't say no to anything, kind of person. She's so inspirational. So I thought I, I really want to give her a shout out as well. Yeah. Um,
1: she replaced Eamon um, McCann. She did. Because
0: she? She, Eamon retired because of ill health, basically. He had a stand, stand down, unfortunately. So many of Eamon, are really close, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, Eamon McCann's legendary, as you well know. Yeah, um,
1: and he's always been such a champion of the undertones and lots of great bands yeah. and um, in fact in the story of the undertones he said someone the most brilliant he does things. he's got
0: this greatest line I think it's uh, they make the most beautiful noise coming from the most ugliest of places something like that. so yeah, yeah. I paraphrasing it but I think it's something like that amazing amazing quote
1: and he also said, even though the undertones were more affected by the hunger strike than any other contemporary band, it was out of character for them to, com- to be commenting, which is in, obviously, yes. in, yeah. in um, It's, it's Going to Happen. happen. Yeah. And then he said, the undertones are a really complicated musical and cultural phenomenon, a very complicated political phenomenon. So just tell us a bit about that. Particular because it went to 18 in the charts. So yeah. You were
0: on Top of the Pops again, and that happened to be the night that the Bobby night, Sands... Yeah, had. and I, I, I... Well, basically, before we went out, we actually did... We did rehearsals and all, and that was fine. And then we were about to go on to do it properly. And I said to the others, I saw it wear black in our bands, and, we, you know, because Bobby Sands has died, died. And they all went, uh, uh, yeah, no. <laughs> so I went ahead anyway. And, um, because the song originally was, everybody kind of knows now, it was originally, I wrote the, the original lyrics about the hunter strikes and the chorus. We kept the chorus. It's going to happen all the time. But the verses were pretty awful. Not a reason why I stopped writing lyrics. So Mickey changed it into just a normal, normal kind of a pop song, really. The verses, they don't mean much, anything, really. But anyway, I, that it was just such a the coincidence that we were on top of the pops the night he died. Mm-hmm. I thought this is too good to, to not do something. So I, I wrote, I wore the armband. But in a way, I'm kind of glad nobody noticed because it would have caused a big hoo ha, you know, and it would have damaged the band, the man's name and brand. And so it, yeah, I'm kind of glad nobody. It, it, we didn't get banned. We didn't, you know. BBC didn't notice, even notice. So I'm kind of glad it didn't happen. You know, nobody. It didn't get us into trouble. Because it was a bit. I was a bit selfish and you know, I was just acting on my own. I shouldn't have done that. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll have more on that
1: when we talk about that petrol Um, but just at.
0: The, when the undertones ended, like, you were living in London then, so how did you feel? You were in, what, Twickenham or somewhere? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I was actually in Highgate at the time. Um, yeah, the undertones broke up in 83, and I split up with my girlfriend, and that was traumatic enough. And I was kind of basically floundering for a while. I tried to get a band with Mickey Bradley for, you know, for about a year, and it was pretty awful actually to be honest. It wasn't great.
1: Not the Wesleys.
0: No, 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 <laughs> the, the Wesleys was before that. I that, it that was during the Undershots. Yeah, yeah that, that was fun. This thing with Mickey wasn't it wasn't fun, it was dreadful. Anyway, don't want to talk about that. So I was floundering until um eighty four. And the, at which point did you almost join
1: Dexys Midnight No, again,
0: that's a, is it that's a myth. A <laughs> okay, okay, no, quick true. one there is Kevin, I got, did, did get a phone call from Kevin Rowland out of the blue, which is I mean, a huge Dexys fan, and he invited me up to Birmingham. This was during the time they were recording Don't Stand Me Down album. So I went up there for a day, and him and Helen O'Hara were, were together at the time. And he, he basically, I think he... he well, still so to this day, I still don't know why he brought me up, but he—all I do know—he was questioning.
1: Maybe because you were wearing a black combat. No, no, I wasn't. <laughs> he was—it was
0: about Ireland. He yeah. was questioning me, firing me with loads of questions about the troubles in Ireland, your opinion and this and this and that, and he was wanting to trinket in information, maybe from a, somebody who lived there. Maybe it was that. Um, it was a really pleasant afternoon, evening, I stayed at his apartment that night and then he dropped me off actually before he dropped me off he took me to the rehearsal studio and I thought oh maybe he's going to get me to play guitar now or something but he just they went through a few songs with the band and then he took me to the New Street Station Birmingham and that was it <laughs> yeah. I did see him years later and you know we're still I've kind of lost touch but I totally respect the guy totally, he's incredible
1: yeah. No, I agree with you and what a great world record yeah. you were exactly. yeah. listening to you then. Um, so, um, we'll have another track in a second, but um, at that time then, um, did you not ever, when you split up with your girlfriend, did you not think of going back to Derry?
0: No, I did. I just sold my house, honestly. I had a house in Derry. Only had it for a year, and I stupidly just got rid of it. And I spent whatever profit was like a thousand quid on the rent, because then the wages ran out. And the got the tools could split up, so I was struggling, and my girlfriend wasn't working. And then she, she said bye. And yeah, it was it was tough. And then I ended up in Twickenham for a while for about a year. And I, yeah, I was in the doldrums.
1: And did you ever go to? Um John and Raymond's left bank.
0: No, never, yeah. I missed all that. That was all happening when I was in London. Turkey, okay. you know? So that was all going on. I, knew, I did hear about it, but I didn't, I didn't see it. I wasn't there, no.
1: Okay, well, can we have another track, please? Thank you.
0: guitar solo. Yeah, I know. I've always wanted to do a two-minute guitar solo.
1: <laughs> Tell us a bit about that track.
0: Um, again, probably just came up with a bass riff, I think, and then followed it on from there. Um, there's a bit of, you can hear Jimi Hendrix there, obviously. Uh, influence Gabor Zabo, Hungarian guitarist, on the guitar solo itself. Uh, there's Melodica, I put Melodica on. Um, it's, like I said, it's probably my favorite. That and Malhead is my favorite, two pivotal tracks. I called it La Tango actually because two weeks before, or two days before, I remember seeing Yo La Tango, the band, the American band, and they were playing up in that venue called ERF up in Huxton, whatever. They were doing songs from their new record, which is "There's a Riot Going On." I think it's called the LP, and um, it, was, it was just brilliant. I've never seen them before. I was just inspired and just came up with this it's like a day or two later.
1: And some albatross
0: in there. Definitely. Sorry, I should have mentioned that <laughs> albatross. The Very first thing I ever learned was albatross. Yeah, uh, Fleetwood Mac on guitar. First thing I ever learned on guitar. And I still love that. It gives me this chills when I hear that stuff. I love it. I love it.
1: So we need to talk about the petrols. Didn't realise time yes, was going by so quickly. So after, you know, we won't go through the story. But obviously, that was a really exciting time in your it life. It was
0: most more fun than the Undertale easily. Uh, the pedals, honestly, it was. It was, it was so awful.
1: now you've made me have to read um, my favourite quote from Raymond for, that he gave the Quieters. That petrol emotion was like the undertones after discovering drugs, literature and politics, with more girls down the front. Oh, definitely more girls down the front,
0: yeah.
1: So, I think... They were,
0: but they were all looking at Steve Mack. <laughs> not not at, at the rest of us. This... Yeah, sure? oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure yeah. there oh, some. No, no. <laughs> I could vouch for that.
1: <laughs> okay, well, um, there's a new seven... Seven
0: CD box set anthology. There's never been an that petrol motion anthology ever because we've been on so many different record labels, it's been impossible to license. So yeah, finally, Demon Records have, have put together this. Me and Raymond are involved as well. It's a fantastic box set. Um, it's coming out I think it's coming out exactly the same day as this on Cron. Oh, really? it? Yeah. Yeah. oh wow. Coincidentally. Yeah. Right.
1: And it's got great sleeve notes by John Harris. By
0: John Harris, the wonderful John Harris. And yeah.
1: did, when you were, were you and Raymond listening to all the stuff? and. Well,
0: you... uh, yeah, We well, we'd actually, we'd been doing listening parties online, on Zoom okay. um, for the last year during, during COVID, actually, and that, we'd played every album and we, were, we had fans writing and typing in questions, so we kind of it brought us back back then you know and we're going oh this is great that's great that's not so good blah, blah, blah. so it was it was kind of apt that then demon came in with this offer to finally put it all together in one package and i'm right. uh, yes yeah, brilliant it's a great it's quite expensive unfortunately it's like i think it's nearly 70 pounds it's not that bad for it's not then.
1: that bad for the, for, the, for the quality
0: definitely <laughs> worth it
1: okay yes i think it probably is worth it you you once said to me that someone had said that uh sensitise should have been the Irish national anthem.
0: Absolutely. I still stand by that. Yeah, well it is criminal that totally.
1: you know, that petrol emotion was such fantastic. Yeah, land. I
0: don't know, just the gods weren't with us. When it, I mean, who cares? We we made the records, that's the proof. Yeah. You know. I mean it's obviously it's easy for me to say that. Me and John John was in the band for the first three albums. We had success, so I feel it's hard for the others, for everybody else, you know, because they didn't really achieve that that success that we had. So it's more difficult for them, and I get that, I totally get that. Okay, well, we'll have another
1: track and then we'll have a quick everlasting air conversation. Thank you.
0: Mammon Okay, I I do love that. I can't
1: resist a good <laughs> Irish sea shanty. and it's about. The... Oh yeah,
0: there's a sea god uh, called a uh, mythical Irish uh, called Mammon and MacLear. Yeah, underworld, under sea world. You know, uh, son sort of the sea, I think it means in Irish. Um, he, especially up near up near Derry, Lough Foyle. He's supposed to be this mythical creature he, I don't know, it was, it, there, actually there's a by River Foyle there's a placard with his name and you was know, this buff about him and uh, that's where I got the title, I thought, oh that's a great uh, I should call it this because the sea is like a sea shanty and it's, it's this mythical god
1: i read that he uses the mist of invisibility to cloak the whereabouts of his home oh. but i also know that he had a run-in with the great dairy saint Saint colin kill oh, and a golden chalice but that's that's another that's a, story it's another album so we need to talk about the everlasting year yeah so yeah, will we, we ever get another great album, album? uh you, well we'll
0: see <laughs> we did we did an album called Animal Horizon, and then since then we've done three tracks uh, just before Covid, and then we got interrupted by Covid, so we've yet to do, I think the plan is hopefully we'll do one more track and put it out as an EP, and see what happens. Well firstly we have some health issues with Kieran, particularly, our drummer. He doesn't know if he can draw so it remains to be seen.
1: Well, when you said that uh, the Petrels was more fun than the Undertones, what about the Everlasting
0: Year? Was that.? You had a different. I mean, it was lovely playing again with yeah. my friends. I mean, we're, we're all still really good, great friends. And it's basically like the Petrels about Steve. So that was, you know, that was it really enjoyable. Um, and I hope we get this, we do do this one more track and get the CP out. Because I think the new stuff was even better personally, than than the Anima Rising record.
1: Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right, well, I'm speeding up now, so we'll have the last track, please. Thank you. last mm-hmm. track we're going to play this evening. Um, your bedroom in Beachwood Avenue was famously called the, the pit. pit. Yeah. I'm beginning to wonder, you know, what does the pit look like? What does the loft look
0: like? <laughs> well, the loft is much more uh, tidier than the pit. Ever was, believe me. <laughs>
1: um, is it? I think it must be like a Tom Waits song or something. Loads of instruments. There
0: is. Yeah. There's. Well, depends, if, the, depends. Yeah. We have to make room sometimes, but sometimes there's a whole vibraphone up there which is you know quite quite a big space uh keyboard and then amps and guitars and, but then i would put it away because also there's a sofa bed there so we have guests we have to clear everything out of the into the storage so people can sleep and not trip over things but yeah that's where i basically that's where the the loft was where it did most of this record um this particular track was done Started actually, it was 2012, I think. um, Our daughter Rosa and me and Viv would we go upstairs and mess about on instruments, and Rosa came up with this lovely little marimba riff, and then Viv enhanced it with vibes, and I started playing guitar. It was so good that I recorded it, and I always loved it, and I just sort of enhanced it, adding instruments and. Rosa also did this flute thing as well when she was 12 so I chopped that up and put the best bits and put it into the track and it's just hope expresses a kind of innocence and charm you know and it just reminds me of those lovely days when she was just a child and it was just we were happy we still are happy but it was extra special you know it was lovely yeah it's a lovely track and
1: there's more great tracks on the album and you did an interview with your friend Steve from his Sonic podcast and you said this was on the Monotones record and you said that you weren't going to revisit any old songs anymore but you couldn't mm. resist putting Cyan Explode on the end. Yeah, well again that <laughs> carries
0: the theme because in, in the original Monotones album to the very end there's me, there's a real... Like a thirty-second segment of me showing the undertones, it's gonna happen for the first time. So it's, you know, it's a really a different key and you know, all whatever. So I thought in the end of this on Cron, I'll, because um, I you know I've got those snippets from the undertones. I've got a, just a sort of an old rough first time of demo, whatever, of me doing Sign explode, and me singing too. So yeah, it's the only voice. Well, there is choral voices of course, but it's the only v- lyrics. On "On Crime," it's from 1981 or whatever it is. I
1: know. I think it's a great ending to a great record. Mm. So thank you, Damien. Thank and you, Anne. Brian. And thank you, everyone, for coming. Thank you. Thanks. Um, thanks to Anne
0: and Damien. Uh, I. Uh, the records out and the label has actually started to put out Damien's second solo album. I'm very honoured to put out the new one and uh, it will be for sale over there two weeks in advance of being in the shops So either Damien will come over or you can pursue him around the room. So <laughs> okay, so thanks for coming. I think that was a great night.